coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 29th of May, 2022, from those of the world. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me as we continue our study in the Upper Room Discourse, and more specifically, as we deal with the prayer of the Lord to his Father that is recorded for us and shared to his disciples before he was to go to the cross. Last week we talked in terms of the idea of glorifying the Son and glorifying the Father and the idea of turning our attention and our focus on Christ, and then magnifying his name to others. And then, as he says, and when I am magnified, and when I am glorified, then likewise that happens to the Father. And we saw the outworking of that in the first five verses. This morning I'd like to turn our attention, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 17, and uh, thank you, Tom, for reading. We'll reread part of this. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And remember, as we're reading this, we're reading literally a prayer that Jesus offered to his father. So this isn't just text that are statements that are true, but rather the hard cry of Jesus Christ to his father, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. It's kind of a, a tough position sometimes to expound a passage, to explore a passage, because sometimes you just want to do a hot tub view of it, you know, sit and soak in it, rather than dissect it and tear it all apart. But sometimes in, in looking at it, and hopefully this is a case, will make you appreciate the prayer all the more. Jesus begins this section by saying, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I just want to focus on a couple of phrases here, words. First one is manifested that Jesus had made known to them, had shown them, revealed to the disciples. And as Jesus is praying, and he says, this is something that I have done. This 
as he's now towards the end of his, his physical life here on earth, he says, I've completed this task. He's looking at this in one overview, and he says, I have made known to them you and your word. In John 1.14, John, as he begins this, this book, this gospel, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among them. That's the point that Jesus said, I've been here. It wasn't that I would just came as a teacher who would expound some truths, but I came to live and breathe this truth into their lives. First John, first Peter 1, 20 and 21, Peter, as he's reflecting on the life of Christ under the inspiration of the Spirit, he says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And John, as he's recording this high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I came and I represented you to them. We'll look some more at that detail. And he says, and which people did he do this to? Well, certainly anybody who was observing and watching, but Jesus now is going to turn his attention and his focus, not to all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and any social strata here. He's going to turn his attention to those who are his disciples, those who are his followers, all those who have put their trust in him. And so he says, out of the world. And I love that statement because it speaks to me that we didn't have any special merit. And the disciples didn't either. Why did he pick Peter, James, and John? Sons of thunder for a couple of them. And, and Matthew, a tax collector, certainly not the highest group of people that could be uh, looked at and gathered together. They were nothing special. They were undeserving. But then the same is true of us. Same is true of us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul captures this. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. That was the moniker that could be put across all of us. He says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And, and how does Jesus describe us? People to whom you gave me out of the world. And here, Paul writes, he says, which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. See, the claim to fame for a believer isn't their special heritage. It is the fact that God's grace gave them new life. 
Each one who claims to be a follower of Christ cannot say, he had to pick me. He had to choose me because, you know, I was going to merit so much uh, value and bring so much to this arrangement. No. Sometimes we get caught up in that. Sometimes we say, wouldn't it be great if someone like, and fill in the blank, got saved? What a, what a great conversion that would be. And what could they bring to the cause of Christ if we could see that? And you could fill in the name. And he says, you know what's wrong with that? He says, they're going to come in the same way that we're going to come in. Hat in hand. Say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how we all come. Jesus is praying now, and he says, these that I've called from out of the world, who you've given to me, and then he continues, says, yours they are, they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The idea behind given is that they have been granted or imparted to Jesus, said, here, I have this, and give them to you. And who's he talking about? His followers. John 6, 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater for all, than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, I and the Father are one. Jesus, as he's praying back to the Father, he says, they were yours and you have given them to me. And I am keeping them. And then he says, and they have kept your word. What does it mean to keep their word? They have observed. They have fulfilled. They have paid attention to what I have revealed to them. John, as he writes later in the epistle of 1 John, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, and there's a nice comparison between his commandments and his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. There's going to see a family resemblance in the family of God. We're going to be like him. That's just one verse. Verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now they know. There's a couple words that the Greeks used to talk about knowing something. One of them is something that you would learn and it become a truth that is observed and identified, but that's not this word. This word puts with it a different connotation 
this is a connotation of active relationship. It says, come to know somebody. You can say, I know something about, maybe you read a good biography of, of a person. You can say, boy, I know about Ulysses S. Grant. Pick somebody, I don't care. You say, I, I read all the books about him. And someone would say, so you know Ulysses S. Grant. Well, no, I've never met him. I know about him. I know of him. And the word that he uses here is that idea of saying, no, I know him. I don't just have some understanding about who he is. I've come to know him. In the Old Testament, we would use, if we use the Greek word in the Old Testament, probably in the Septuagint, it is the word that we'd use to talk about the physical relationship between a husband and wife. That he knew his wife and they gave birth to a son or a daughter. And there's that physical intimacy. And he says, they have, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. In other words, it isn't something that Jesus had taught them and they go, yeah, okay. But now it is a matter that they have been with me. I have manifested myself to them. I have poured my life into them and they have come to grasp who I am, what I'm about, and have come to see the reality that when Jesus says, I am the Son of God, they would go, yes, we know it. We know it. Not just a learned but experienced truth. And he says, and this is that I came from you. And what, what I have shared is from you. When I was going to school, way back in the dark ages, when I was going to school, one of the things that we had to do when we wrote a paper is down at the bottom of the page, we had to put down footnotes. And at the end of the, of the paper, we would have to put a bibliography showing our references and resources. Because they didn't want to say, well, you know, I just made this up. No, I said, you, you got this from somewhere. Where did you get this from? If you're on Facebook, be real careful when somebody says, well, somebody said this. And you go, and who was that somebody? Well, I don't know. But my friend of my second cousin said he heard it over... No, I'm not going to do it. The disciples said, and they have come to know where I got it. It was from you, Father. Verse 8 is a wonderful verse. Because verse 8, in this prayer, Jesus summarizes his ministry of reconciliation. Listen. Listen to this. I'm going to read it to you again and we'll break it down. He says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. They have received them. They have come to know 
in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Let's break it down. First of all, he says, I have given them the words that you gave me. You know, words matter. Words matter. Sometimes I get asked questions like, uh, what's your favorite translation of scripture? And I won't even say it out loud because then somebody would go, oh, that was terrible. Other would go, yeah, me too. I but words matter. And I like translations that do a good job of translating the text because what they actually say is what we want to actually be talking about. I can appreciate paraphrases. I'm not against paraphrases. Some of you have used the Living Bible and there's others. Um, I was trying to think of one. One slipped my mind. But anyway, there's different ones that are written as paraphrases and you read them and they're pretty good to get the flow of where things are going. But if you want to know exactly what is said and what is meant, words matter. And Jesus says in John 12, 49, I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. Because I'm not making this up as I go along. I was given this by the Father. And how did they respond to it? When I shared the words from God. Now, what is important of this phrase is the fact that they were walking and talking with Jesus, who I mean, the vast majority of the people, when they, when they looked at Jesus, they saw him, what? Just another guy. He's just another guy. Here's Peter, James, John. Here's Jesus. He's just another guy. He's not even somebody special. Where'd he come from? Nazareth. Could any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's just a guy. But Jesus in this prayer, he says, these whom you've given me, they recognize that I'm not just another. They recognize that I am from you. They have received them. Not ignored who I am. Not rejected who I am. But they have taken me in and identified me as God in their presence. Wow. They have received me. And they have come to know that I came from you. I came from you. One of the beautiful truths of God's word is that we have the account of the life of Jesus here on earth. And Jesus interacted with others. He interacted with children and and men and women, he interacted with them all. And what were they used to when they were dealing with God? Well, up until that time, if you wanted to 
communicate with God, it was usually through a priest. You go, once the temple was established, even before Jesus uh, revealed who he was, but he was alive, they would go to the temple. They would perform sacrifices like we saw in the book of Leviticus, sometimes praise offerings, sometimes confessional and repentance uh, were dealt with in the temple. And that was their communication with God. And it was through an intermediary who then the priest would go into the holy place as well. But there would be a burnt, there would be a sacrificial altar and then there would be a, a, a labor with cleansing afterwards for the priest. And that was the the people could see that, but they they wouldn't participate in it other than bringing the animals there and sacrificing them. But now his disciples had come to see Jesus. And that is no small thing. For up until this point, they had never seen God. Never seen God. In the Old Testament, when we have the story of the tabernacle moving, they had the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day, and they could see that the presence of God was there, but they didn't see God. And when Moses went up on the mountain, received uh, the tablets of stone, and he came down, the glory of God was so bright on his face, they said, cover that up, we don't even want to see that. But Jesus said, I have been with these here. And they've come to see me for who I really am. God in their midst. Colossians 1.15. A little short phrase at the beginning of that verse. And it says, he, referring to Jesus Christ, is the image of, of the invisible God. Want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He embodies the invisible Father. And he says, I've given them the words because words matter, the truth matters. He says, and what have they done with it? They haven't rejected it, they haven't dismissed it, they haven't ignored it but they received it they took it to themselves and they know who I am that I'm the revealed God in their presence and he says and they believed that you sent me they believed that you sent me and here's that word belief that we use interchangeably with trust and faith. And trust probably speaks to our heart a little closer. He says, they've come to the place of trusting me. How big is that? Because there isn't a person who calls himself a believer who hasn't come to say, I trust who God is. I trust whom Jesus said he is. I trust the word of God when it says that he died for my sins. And my trust, my confidence is that one day I will see him face to face. Why? Because I've taken him 
and his what? Word. And he says, and they believe that you sent me. These are believers. John 1, 12 and 13, as he begins his gospel, he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God that does the transforming work in the heart and life of a person. No one gets to heaven just because they want to. They must put their trust in him. But we're in the midst of a prayer, so let's see how this prayer goes. In verse 9, he says, And I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And here we see that narrowing of the focus. Jesus said in his prayer to his Father, I'm praying for these right here in the room with me. I'm praying for them. And if he's out and on the way to the garden, he's praying for his disciples who are right around him. He says, I'm praying for these. I'm not praying for everybody here. I'm praying for them. Is God against everybody else? No. Was Jesus against everybody else? No. But what he's saying is the focus of this prayer is on those who are called by my name, those who have put their hope and trust in me, those who are believers. So the focus is on believers. And now we come full circle to the verses from last week. He says, all, are, all mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. How cool is that? We talk about glory as focused attention, expanded adoration. He says, he says, I am the focus, their attention, and I am magnified because of what? What we have read just before this. He says, I have shared with them who I am. They have heard me. They have seen me. They have witnessed me. They have come to the place of understanding that I'm not just a, a teacher, but I'm really what I am when I say that I am from you. I am your son and we are one. And he says, and they've come to put their hope and trust in me. And because of that, I am glorified. Have you ever thought that your salvation is part glorification of the Son and His work. And you go, well, you know, you're looking to me to be a spotlight on the character and nature of God. I feel like I've got a battery in my flashlight is sort of dimming here. I'm not too much glory here. 
But that isn't what Jesus said. When you have moved from death to life, when you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, and he has been separated out of, out of all mankind to be identified as the son of the father, and he has been the redeemer, not only the creator as I, we've had in the song, but also my savior, Jesus Christ is glorified. He did the work, paid the price, he gets the glory. And when we put our hope and trust in him and we follow him, every step we take magnifies Jesus Christ. We walk in the light as he is in the light. Glory. Glory. Well, I want to stop here in the prayer and we will, Lord willing, pick it up again some uh, next week as we continue down through this high priestly prayer of the Lord. But I just want to bring you back to the focus here. As Jesus, in his prayers, what is he talking about? He isn't, he isn't out in the garden yet. He's with his disciples. He's later on to say, you know, if this cup would pass for me, I wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't upset me. <laughs> he says, but no, this is the reason I came. But here in his prayer, his attention wasn't on him. His attention was on his followers, on the believers. And he says, Lord, thank you for them. And they glorified me. We're going to see some more of what Jesus has to say as he continues to keep the focus on believers in his prayer. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, of all the things that could be running through the heart and mind of your Son, Jesus Christ, at the time which this prayer was offered, knowing that he's destined for the cross, know that you had called him to offer up his life. Where was his heart? Heavenly Father, we see it. It was for those who put their hope and trust in him. Heavenly Father, we count it great privilege to be called child of God. We give thanks in his name.